Very good. Good morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm fine. My name, one of the leaders here at Kingswick Church. Uh, we're going to look at the passage that Claire has read for us. Um, so let's do that. It'd be great to have your Bibles open um, to see what it is we're looking at. Uh, and I guess really the question for us this morning is, are you ready? That, that's the whole thrust of this passage. Um, the question we need to ask ourselves is, are you ready? Jesus says it in verse 44, you also must be ready. Are you ready? Well, ready for what? Uh, let's back up a, a moment as we orientate ourselves towards this part of the, of the Bible. We are in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Uh, he's telling us about the events of the week that led up to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, after some confrontations with the religious leaders, uh, at the beginning, uh, they all happened in the temple. The beginning of chapter 24, Jesus leaves the temple. Um, and as he goes away, his disciples draw his attention um, draw his attention to the temple buildings. Uh, Jesus tells them that the temple is going to be destroyed. Um, and so they come and they ask him. That's a big deal. They ask him in verse 3, tell us, they say, tell us when this will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, those questions Jesus then seems to take in turn. Uh, verses 4 to 35, which we saw last week, uh, he answers the question of when the temple will be destroyed. And he describes some events that are going to happen within the lifetime of these disciples. He tells them how the, the world around them will crumble, um, but that Jesus will rise up to the throne of heaven and receive his eternal kingdom. And so he says the disciples are to live with their eyes open to the troubles and their eyes lifted up to where Jesus is seated and trust him to keep them right to the end. But then the disciples had another question. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, that is a question of when will Jesus return from heaven? And that now is the question Jesus picks up in verse 36, and he's answering it right up to the end of chapter 25. And that's the event that we are called to be ready for. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Well, to answer that, we need to dig into it a bit more. So we're going to ask three questions this morning. We're going to ask... Uh, what does the return of Jesus Christ mean? When will it happen? And what does it mean to be ready? Three questions. Uh, so, first of all, what does the return of Jesus Christ mean? Uh, the disciples ask about his coming. Uh, the word they use for his coming is, is a word which is used for a royal visitation. Um, they say this coming will mark the end of the age. You see, the creation of the world was the creation of a kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of heaven met on earth, and under the rule of God, there, were, there was blessings, there was life, there was goodness lavished on the world. And then there was a rebellion in the kingdom. Now, those first people doubted the goodness of God. They refused the word of God. They tried to set up their own kingdom. And everything was broken, and there was corruption, there was death, there was conflict, and the world became what we know it is today. And this age stretches over what we know as the history of mankind. And yet in time, a man came and his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus Christ came and he announced the inbreaking of heaven's kingdom on earth because he is the king of that kingdom. And all of his work on earth was a work to break the power of that pretended tyranny kingdom and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth once more. And that's what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection. And then he ascended into heaven where he receives the eternal kingdom. And then when he returns, then this age will end 
and the everlasting age of the kingdom of heaven will be fully consummated in all the world. But what does it mean? Well, the prophet Isaiah described it like this. He wrote, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. What does the return of Jesus Christ mean? It means that the world will be put right. It means that everything that is wrong in the world will be sorted out. It means every longing we ever had for justice will be answered. It means every ache will be satisfied. It means every moment of fleeting happiness that we've ever tasted that sneaks up upon us and then is gone like a breath. Every faint taste of contentment, every glimpse of beauty will be filled out without blemish to its maximal extent. All those glimpses of light that pierce our present darkness, we will follow them to the source and all will be light and life and love. It's what every good story tells us. When all hope seems to be lost and then suddenly salvation arrives. It's Aragorn arriving at Gondor when the battle seems like it's over. It's Elsa in Frozen 2 coming from the frozen depths and riding on the water horse um, to save Arendelle from destruction. The return of Jesus Christ means that gladness and joy will win the day, that sorrow and sighing will be put forever into the past, and the kingdom of heaven will be the kingdom on earth forever and ever. And Jesus says, you must be ready. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Are you ready for the end of this age and for the new world, for the imperishable bliss to arrive? You must be ready. But our second question, when? When do you need to be ready? That was the disciples' question. Tell us, Jesus, when will you return and usher in your kingdom rule? And so look at verse 36 where our passage begins. But about that hour, that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That's pretty clear, isn't it? No one knows. It boggles the mind, doesn't it, to think how many times groups have have predicted the end of the world. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the sun. So who do we think we are to have any idea? No one knows. Uh, That much is clear. And yet verse 36 opens a little bit of a can of worms. How can the sun not know? Now, Now, given what Matthew's told us about the sun, you see, Matthew tells us that at the birth of Jesus, they called him Emmanuel, which means God with us, because that's who Jesus Christ is. He is God with us, the Son of God, always being God, one with the Father and the Spirit, added to himself a second nature, one like ours, a human nature, so that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, the two natures in the one person. Now, that is mind-blowing. The church wrestled with these ideas for centuries, um, trying to hold on to what the Bible teaches. But at the end of the day, it's a mystery. What we hold, as the Bible teaches, is that the Son of God always is God. He never stops being God in any way. But at the incarnation, he became man, so that now both natures are held together in the one person. And those natures aren't changed, they're not mixed, they're not confused, they're not separated, they can't be divided. So when the Son does not know the time of his coming, I think we have to say that this is Christ in his human nature as a man, did not know. And yet the God nature of Christ knows as the Father knows. And if you think you can get your head around that, you're probably missing something. 
And the important bit for us, the important bit for us is that whatever's going on with the sun, we do not know. We have no idea of the timing. Jesus presses the point home, verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You can read about it back in Genesis 6. And Jesus is making a comparison. What's his comparison? What he says, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That's the comparison that Jesus makes. Uh, before the flood, life looked very ordinary. Uh, before the flood, there was nothing remarkable. Uh, people just got on with the business of life, and then suddenly it was all changed. That's how it will be when Jesus Christ returns. In verse 40, Jesus describes it. Two men will be in the field. That's two men will be doing their day job. Just like every other day of their lives, they, that their alarm goes off, they get out of bed, they yawn, they stretch, they get dressed, they, they wash, they eat their breakfast, they drive to work on the same route, that they meet the same people, they have the same conversations, just like every other day. And then Jesus says, suddenly one will be taken and the other left. He says there'll be two women uh, grinding with a handmill, again, a basic routine of everyday life, and one will be taken and the other left. No one knows when Jesus Christ will return. No one can predict it. It will be like every other day. There's not really an indication in this passage of whether it is better to be taken or to be left. But in that moment, there will be two opposite outcomes. What will make the difference? Now notice the activities that Jesus highlights in verse 38. Eating, drinking, Marrying, being given in marriage. These are our base level needs to maintain human existence, aren't they? For the human race to continue, people have to eat and babies have to be born. You get those two things right and the human race will probably keep on going. Now that, and here I think is, is humanity's greatest blind spot that we miss that there is a more basic need, a more important need. See, in the days of Noah, people had ignored that they lived in a world created by a God uh, with whom one day they would have to give an account. That they lived as though there was no God. They lived as though their basic need was just to survive, eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Does it sound familiar? And yet their basic need was to reckon with God Almighty. And then the flood came and there was separation. Noah and those with him entered the ark. The rest swept away. When Jesus Christ comes, there will be separation. Some will be taken. Others will be left. And those who work their way through life without giving any real thought to God, that they will find that in the end that choice is respected. That those who are, are godless, they live without God, will end up living without God. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Life is more than eating and drinking. It's more than survival. Life is to be reckoned to God or not at all. And then suddenly, in a moment, at a time we do not know, our choices will be made clear. So Jesus says in verse 42, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left, let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now there's no point saying, 
I, I will wait till a little bit later to sort this out. Uh, my dad once sat down with a couple who were planning to be married. They wanted my dad to marry them, and he asked them about the Lord Jesus. He asked them about what place Christ had in their lives, and, and, and they both said to him, they said, look, we are young, we're just starting out in life. We're just starting our careers. We're just entering into this new season of life. We've got so much going on. So perhaps when we're a bit older, then we will come to think about these things. It's folly, isn't it? No one knows when it will be too late. Now, if we knew when it would happen, then we could wait. But we don't, so we can't wait. Jesus says, you must be ready now. If we're not too busy to keep our bodies fueled with food and drink, then how can we be too busy to consider the much more important matter of what will happen when Jesus Christ returns? When will Jesus Christ return? A number of ways. Uh, we, we could answer it by saying with the Bible, we must repent and believe the good news. We must confess our sin and trust everything to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be ready. Uh, but here Jesus tells a story. Uh, verse 45 to 51. Um, it's the first of a number of stories. They become a bit more story-like as Jesus goes on, but it's the first of a number of stories that Jesus tells here to show what it means to be ready. What does it mean to be ready? Well, there are two characters in this story. One shows what it's like to be ready, one what it's like not to be ready. The first one. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, says Jesus, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Who is it? It's provocative. Is it you? Is it you? Does your readiness for the return of Jesus match this faithful servant? What does it mean to be ready for the return? It's a bit like this, you know, what does it mean to be ready? Uh, well, this last week was uh, my son Daniel's birthday. In the Fairbairn household, you get to choose what meal you have on your birthday. And so my son decided he wanted homemade ravioli. Now, as the cook, that provides a kind of certain readiness problem. Because when I've tried this in the past, dinner has been late. Um, so, so being ready was, was a bit of an issue. Um, what does readiness look like? Well, as we make ravioli, as you probably know, um, you could ask, well, when is the pasta dough ready for being rolled out? Well, it's ready when it's been sitting around doing nothing for a while. Ready dough looks idle. But we could say, well, when is the water ready to put the pasta into to cook? Well, it's not when it's idle. If you put pasta into cold water, idle water, it will just get soggy and won't cook. No, the water is ready when it's active, when it's bubbling away, when it's doing something. That's what it looks like for the water to be ready. And that's the kind of readiness Jesus calls for. It's not an idle readiness, it's an active readiness. It's seen in how someone lives their life. But what then is the activity of readiness? Well, Jesus' story shows that to be ready for the return of the master in verse 46 is to be found doing what he gave you to do. Now that this servant lives as one who belongs to another. Now, he conducts his life with this ongoing awareness that he is under the rule of his master. The jobs his master has given him are the jobs he is to do. So each day he wakes up and says, what does my master require of me today? And his master's been away. If, it, if his master's away for a long time, it doesn't matter. The servant knows his work. What does my master require of me today? And that's what he does. Well, what is his work? Well, it says he's to give food uh, to those in his master's household at the proper time. 
In the Psalms, that phrase, giving food at the proper time, is used to describe how God himself cares for creation. And I think there's this little hint there that those who are ready for the return of Jesus Christ give themselves to imitating God, to bearing the image of God given to us in creation, the image of God being restored to us as we put faith in Christ, and leading to caring for God's world, in particular for people. The servant is to serve others. He's to put his efforts into loving others. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 22, that the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the Bible can be summed up in two commands. You love God and you love others. Now, the one who is ready for the return of the Lord Jesus is the one who gives themselves to such things. But there's another servant. Uh, maybe the same servant who takes a different path, verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. He is not ready for his master's return. Maybe he doubts his master will return. He doesn't ask, what does my master require of me? Instead, he, he seeks to serve himself. He abuses others. He misuses his master's property. And where does it end for these two servants? Well, when the master returns, if he finds his servant doing what he gave him to do, verse 46 says, it will be good for that servant. But literally, it says as an exclamation, blessed is that servant. Blessed is a, a very loaded word, especially in Matthew's gospel. Bit of a weird word in English, isn't it? Blessed, we kind of sounds a bit dry, a bit. Um, sentimental maybe but the, the meaning of it is to look at a situation and, and be astonished be amazed admire it to say wow that situation is a deeply happy situation that is the good life the thriving life the flourishing life in Matthew 5 Jesus unpacked this blessedness he, he told how this blessedness comes through brokenness those who are truly blessed recognize life as it really is you know, they, they see the reality of sin in the world. They see the reality of sin in their own lives. And they mourn because of it. And they feel their lack. And they feel their emptiness. And they long for the world to be right. And they ache for justice. And out of that brokenness, they hear the voice of Jesus saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And they respond. They throw themselves on Christ. And then King Jesus says, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will share in the bliss of the world to come. They will be comforted. They will be filled. They will see God. They will be crowned with joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Blessed. See, that servant who is under the lordship of King Jesus has abandoned hope in themselves and trust it, trusts it all to Christ and live each day asking, what does my king require of me today? And then that servant, as he asks that question, takes hold of his master's resources, the things his master has given, and he uses them to do his master's work. That servant is ready. And when his master comes, blessed. Verse 47, truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But what about the other one? Where does it end? For the other servant, when the master returns, if he finds his servant living for himself and mistreating others and forgetting that he's a servant, verse 50 says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a shocking conclusion. This isn't kind of coming back and giving a verbal warning or a strict talking to. It is brutal. And the shock is meant to force us to consider the seriousness of the question before us. Am I ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Now, this second servant doesn't want his master, and that's what he gets. He gets put away from his master, but that place is awful. So we must ask ourselves, are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Can't put that off. Our most fundamental need, our basic need is to be right with God. And if we go through life and do everything else but not this, then we're blind. If we go through life without a thought of God, trying to live without him, then when Jesus Christ returns, we will, we will get what we wanted. He will respect our choices. And suddenly we will find ourselves without God. That is without goodness, because he is the source of all that is good. There will be only weeping. And we'll find ourselves without comfort. There'll only be gnashing of teeth. And without light, there'll only be darkness and without life, and your most fundamental need is to be right with God. And that's why the coming of Jesus into the world is such good news. He came to save his people from their sins. He came to put sinners in the right with God. And that's why, as Jesus tells these things that we've been looking at this morning, he is about to give himself to death on the cross. And his dying was him paying a debt we could never pay for ourselves. And so that we, undeserving as we are, might have a right to the place in the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says, believe on him and you will be saved. Trust Christ. That's what it says. Confess to him your sins. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask for a place in his kingdom and you will find him eager to grant it. Look, if you're not sure about that, that's new for you or you've got questions or something's holding you back then talk to someone i talk to paul who led talk to me talk to someone else are you ready for the return of jesus christ and maybe maybe for those who are a bit younger it might be easy to imagine that you can put off deciding you, you might think you don't need to think about this until you get a bit older but jesus says you do not know when he will return so you must be ready now, now, maybe for you, you've been putting it off for some time. You've not quite wanted to get to that point of asking Jesus to save you. Not quite. But you don't know when he will come. And how awful it will be for those who waited until it was too late. Maybe for others, others of us, maybe those um, who... Maybe those are a bit older. Maybe we think we are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Maybe we think we're ready because years and years ago we once said a prayer and we've got a little card to prove it. But what is that prayer worth if you're not trusting Jesus Christ today? Now being ready for Jesus' return is not about what you once prayed. It's about how your life today reveals that you are still trusting Christ. Now being ready isn't having an insurance policy of faith tucked away in a dusty cabinet it's about living out that faith in all of life active trust being about your master's work are you ready for the return of jesus christ jesus says you must be ready you must 
He shows that being ready for his return is when we live each day for him, when we start each day asking, what does my master require of me today? Now, whether we're in the field or whether we're at the mill or just doing the same kind of things as the person next to us, but we're doing it for King Jesus. We're doing it because we know we belong to Christ, that we've been bought with the blood of Christ and we seek his resources to love God and love others in all that we do. And then when he comes back, unexpected and sudden, he will say, blessed. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, uh, you know our hearts right now. Uh, you know the things that are distracting us and drawing us away. Please, would you help us each to honestly assess that question for us? Are we ready for Jesus to come back? And in your great mercy, please would you ensure that each of us are, uh, that we go into each day uh, trusting the Lord Jesus, hoping in him, eager to serve him. Amen.